Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. As we uh, look forward to next week to our uh, one big service and um, kind of Commitment Sunday, uh, baptisms, uh, baby dedications, there's some pretty incredible stories uh, that you're going to get to hear uh, next week, which um, have blown my mind as to what God has been doing and how he's been working in people's lives and drawing people to himself. Um, but this morning, <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of do just a kind of a little bit of a look back onto what we've kind of walked through in the book of Acts, um, the first 20 chapters. We're gonna kind of take a break from Acts and in November we're gonna do kind of a different series um, leaning into um, really intimacy and mission with Jesus and, uh, and then in January we'll come back to Acts and finish off the book. But um, I wanna kind of give a little bit of a review uh, first and then some things that I would say are thematic, consistent takeaways, things that I believe God wants us to um, kind of take notice of as we've been walking through Acts. Uh, so so um, today's gonna be a little bit of a, kind of an outline a little bit, but, but kind of a review of, of where we've been. And so um, to kind of look at the first 20 chapters of Acts, really what we see is how, how Jesus left his disciples and what he left them to do and how to do that, like what he wanted them to carry out. And so um, when, I, when I look and, and when we see Acts chapter one, I would kind of put that in its own little container and say that Acts chapter one, I would title as kind of the briefing. Uh, the briefing that Jesus gave his disciples, those who were gonna carry on his ministry, how he wanted them to do things. And, and so in Acts chapter one, uh, verses, verses seven and eight, <clears throat> Jesus says, and again, this comes after this conversation with the disciples. They say, look, Jesus, we wanna know when you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel. When are you gonna come and make all these things right? Uh, and we've kind of been asking Jesus that um, <laughs> since the disciples asked him back then. And so Jesus responds in verse seven. He says, it's not for you to know the times of the season that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and so Jesus, Jesus, his briefing is this. He says, I want you to understand that I will place upon you my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and in power, he will cause you to be able to be my witnesses where you live and where you end up going. You may stay where you live your whole life, but you will have the power of the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses there in your neighborhood, in where you work, and, and you'll have the power of the Holy Spirit to be my witness to wherever you are called to go. That's kind of the briefing. And so the briefing is this, your job is to be the witnesses of my kingdom. And so then Jesus, King Jesus, later in, in Acts chapter one, he ascends to his throne and is seated at the right hand of God. 
And it's, it's interesting because if, if you were in the kind of, in the, the Jewish mind at that moment, what you would have is, is images of Daniel chapter seven when, when Daniel has this vision of all of these kingdoms and how each kingdom falls. And finally there comes a forever king with a forever kingdom in Daniel seven. And that's what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's ascending to heaven to be that forever king and have that forever kingdom. And so King Jesus leads his people through the Holy Spirit to make known his kingdom and invite all people to live under his reign. That's actually what following Jesus is. It's us choosing to live under the reign of King Jesus. And I think for maybe for some of us, Maybe we were brought into kind of the family of God in a way of, uh, you know, Jesus wants to be my friend or different things like that, which he is a friend. He's the best friend a sinner can have. However, what we are invited into and what our life's mission is, is to live under the reign of his king, of, of his kingdom now. And so, and so we see this, this briefing of King Jesus saying, this is what I want from you. And then in chapter two, and I think through maybe verse seven, chapter seven, we see the birth of the church and how the, the conduit of, of, of how God's kingdom will work in the lives of people. And so, so what we catch in the birth of the church is, is Pentecost in chapter two. And this is what, what it says. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, which wind oftentimes is descriptive of the spirit. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's something really significant that we can miss if we're not very familiar with the Old Testament and how God's glory showed up throughout the Old Testament. Let me, let me read a passage from Exodus chapter 40. It says, and this is when the Israelites were wandering and, 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 and God was leading them through the wilderness. It says, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Okay, so just think this for a second. Think about the connection there. The, it says that a fire was in the tabernacle at night for all of Israel to see. And in the upper room with the disciples, there's this sound of a rushing wind and the spirit fills them. And what, what is identifying them? It says that there's something like a tongue of fire on each of them. There's something here that, that they would connect that, that is different from how God moved and worked in the Old Testament, that, that now the fire is on them, not in a building. Later in Second uh, Chronicles 7, as Solomon finishes building the temple, it says, as soon as Solomon fi finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When they, when they saw, when they all, when all the peoples of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down and their, their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good for steadfast love endures forever. 
Remember that, that here in Acts chapter two, it says that, that the Holy Spirit filled them and they had these tongues of fire over them. They, and here's what, what we need to recognize, is that the birth of the church is not the birth of a building or an organization, but is the birth of God indwelling people and marking them with his fire, just like God's glory filled the temple and there was fire that identified God's presence there. And so you see, the reality is that we are the temple of God, the tabernacle of God that his glory has filled and that we are, that we are identified by the fire of, of his Holy Spirit in our lives. Here's what's amazing to think of. In the Old Testament, it says that the glory of, the God, uh, the glory of God filled the temple and the priests were not able to go into the temple because it was full of the glory of God. But today, right now, for us who've seen Jesus and been forgiven and redeemed, we are the glory of God. The glory of God fills us and, and people see us. That is, that is his work. That is what he's doing in the world. And so we, we go from, from this place of, of God would no longer live in a temple built with stone and wood and gold, but it's, but it's, he wouldn't live in, he would live in a new temple, but that new temple is us. And so that new temple is Jesus' covenant family. And so we see the birth of the church, which from the very get-go, it was not a thing where it had a bunch of systems or buildings or land and just like in the Old Testament, there's sometimes a need for that, but the glory of God does not inhabit a building, it inhabits people. And, and so, so we see the, the, the briefing that Jesus gives, he says, I want you to be my witnesses. How are you gonna be my witnesses? When you are filled with the glory of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and he rests on you. And, and so there, there's the birth. And then we have, starting in chapter eight-ish, and moving probably through chapter 12, we have what I would call as the backlash. And the backlash is that this, this new way of living and being in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit receives backlash, not only from the, the Jewish system, the, the religious Jews, but also from the Roman Empire. And so there's a backlash that they are fighting against. In fact, the backlash even starts to grow inside of this new church where the Jewish believers are struggling with Gentile believers and what they should have to do to be part of this movement. And so there's this backlash that we see and, and that they're fighting against because Jesus' kingdom is threatening to any other kingdom. It's threatening to my kingdom. It's threatening to your kingdom. It's threatening to nations. It's threatening to tribes. It's threatening to uh, affinity groups. All of those things because Jesus is supreme king and we are called to live under his rule and his reign. And so there will inevitably be backlash by systems and nations and governments and individuals because Jesus calls for complete allegiance and loyalty to himself. And so then, as we kind of catch up with where we are, starting in maybe verse chapter 13 through chapter 20, is what I would call the buildup. 
And that is the buildup of, of this culmination of, of the book of Acts where the believers and the churches are, are building toward that very thing that Jesus called them to in Acts 1.8. And so in, in, those, in that part of Acts, we see the Jerusalem church made up primarily of, of Jewish believers. And then we see the Antioch church, which is probably more Gentiles, but some Jews in the Antioch church. And those are the kind of two big, huge church gatherings that are happening in the early church where people are being sent out. People are being sent out from Antioch to, to, the, to all over into Gentile areas having incredi bearing incredible fruit. And in fact, it's in, in this part where it, it, that, that, that Barnabas goes kind of knocking on, Saul, on Paul's door in Tarsus because you see, Paul went back to his hometown after being uh, interrupted by Jesus and he goes to his hometown and he moves back into his neighborhood and he begins to preach the gospel there. And God had him in his hometown for a while. And then Barnabas comes and knocks on his door and says, look, there's a church in Antioch that's, that's blowing up. But the problem is that there's issues between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and they're not even eating together. And so if we don't do something about this, we're gonna have separate groups of believers, which isn't what the Lord wants. And so Paul goes with him and the Antioch church becomes a church that is unified and ascending church, sending people out to go and plant churches all over Asia Minor. See, and the reality is this, that as we accomplish the mission that Jesus gave us, it's not that we all have the same thing. Some of us are, are, are going to stay in our hometown and be the witness of Jesus there for the people around. Some of us are going to be called to go somewhere else, maybe move somewhere else or far away to be that witness of King Jesus and his kingdom coming to earth. The problem is where we stay where we are and we don't bear witness. That's the problem. <laughs> because then we're actually not actually living under the rule and reign of King Jesus and doing what he says. And, and so what we see is Jesus in this buildup, Jesus, the risen king of all nations, is calling people to himself, not based on their ethnicity or observance to the law or their geography, but simply by trusting in Jesus and following his teachings. Trusting Jesus and obeying him. And so throughout the, 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 the book of Acts, we see all roads leading to the outworking of Acts chapter one, verse eight. And along the way, there's a showdown with the Jews in the Roman Empire. And we see how the church takes what Jesus told her to do and, and puts it on and lives it out. And so that's kind of a, a quick kind of overview of what we've seen in the book of Acts up to chapter 20 so far. And what's interesting to me as we've been going through Acts, um, something's kind of hit me, is that um, going through, uh, getting a Bible degree and going through seminary and all of that, and, and looking, you know, different conferences and different books and all kinds of things like that. Oftentimes the book of Acts for us is presented as a manual for church growth. Like, well, if you, if you want to have explosive growth, look what the early church did. They did these things, and it says uh, there was massive numbers added to them daily. 
So obviously, the book of Acts is a kind of a manual for how to grow a church, and I don't think it is. Because if you're listening even to, to what, what we just were saying, and if, if you're really reading the book of Acts as it was written by Luke, you see, Acts is not about church growth as we use that phrase. phrase. It is about church faithfulness to King Jesus, no matter cost or consequence. We have, to, we have to be honest and look at the book of Acts honestly and recognize that while there are ways to grow a church, Acts isn't a manual for that. Acts is a witness of how to be faithful to King Jesus no matter cost or consequence. You see, if, if we use Acts as a template for church growth strategy, we will strategize ourselves away from Jesus and obedience to his mission because we get, just get stuck in ourselves. But if we, use, if we see Acts and we use it to show us how to be faithful to King Jesus, then we will develop deep intimacy with Jesus and remain close to the heart of his mission. Acts is a witness. It is a living, breathing witness to us of how we are faithful no matter what to King Jesus. And so there's a few things that I would say are repetitive themes in Acts thus far, and they continue to go through the end of the book. And I want to share them. There, there's probably lots of repetitive themes, but there's, there's three that really stick out to me. And then I want to share a little bit of how what we are seeing in Acts is relevant and really important to our lives today like right now in the season and the time in which we live. <clears throat> so the first thing is this. We see this consistent theme in Acts that our singular directive is to take the message of Jesus' kingdom everywhere there are people and everything else we do is in service to that one directive. This is the way that we, that, I mean, people, you know, it's so interesting. People are kind of like, hey, what's my purpose? What's my purpose in life? Here's your purpose in life if you know Jesus. One thing is to take the news of his kingdom and his kingship to everyone. And everything else in my life ladders up to that directive, period. And that is really hard for us to grasp. <laughs> what does that look like? And I think for me, I've been really deeply convicted that for most of my life, I have had that directive, but it has been set alongside with all the other things that I want and have in my life. Everything else in my life does not fall under the umbrella of that directive. Some of the other things in my life are placed on the side of that directive and are also equally important. And I don't know what that looks like in your life, but as I'm seeking the Holy Spirit, I'm starting to see what that looks like in my life and how that changes how I live dramatically. And I would say that prior to me seeing this, 
Probably people would describe me as a person who follows Jesus fairly well. But when we are faced with Jesus and his kingdom and his reign, and we compare the living of our lives in comparison to that, I think it's easy to see a different picture. <laughs> and so the question that I've been asking is, is this, can I with integrity and transparency say that my life is lived for Jesus' kingdom? Or have I created my own pocket kingdoms that I don't see as a big threat to Jesus' kingdom? <laughs> But am I living in power of the Holy Spirit, witnessing so in such a way that it is drawing other people to Jesus? And that's, that's kind of the question we have to work through. The, the second thing that I would, I would say is a, is a pretty major theme and consistent in the book of Acts is this, that our leadership comes from listening to the Holy Spirit and obedience to Scripture. Our leadership comes from listening to the Holy Spirit and obedience to Scripture. And that is really hard because I, I think a lot of us, it's hard to wrap our heads around what does it mean to listen to the Holy Spirit? Because there's a lot of crazy people out there, right? And, and there are times that somebody says, well, the Holy Spirit told me to do this. And it is clear that that's a terrible idea. And it's not even like a God bad idea. Like God has a lot of, in my opinion, bad ideas, but he does pretty spectacular things through there. That is not on the same level as our bad ideas that we try to justify by saying the Holy Spirit told me to do this. And so it's hard to wrap our heads around that. But here's the thing. Jesus said, look, you will receive the Holy Spirit and it will come on you in power and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so we have, we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit has a monumental role in our leadership and how we live and how we obey the scriptures. And, and, and so really what it comes down to is that prayer and fasting and worship is our primary connection to God's divine strategy. And not just like throw up a quick prayer. Like our connection to God's divine strategy is being in a place of prayer and fasting and worship that, 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 that marks us, that is, that, is, that is very characteristic of us. I'm always amazed at how the ratio of how much I pray for something versus how much I think and plan for something. How much we meet for prayer versus meet to plan. I'm not saying planning is not important, but if we believe what the Bible actually says, I think we spend a lot more time in prayer, fasting, and worship than we do planning. Listening to the Holy Spirit. And so my, my question for myself is, am I constantly listening to the Holy Spirit and submitting myself to the clear demands of discipleship because the Bible is really clear about what discipleship is. It is denying myself and doing what Jesus did. And that just runs so in the face of everything in our culture today because our culture says you need to be the deepest version of who you think you are. And Jesus says, you need to deny yourself and be the deepest version of who I am. 
And, 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 so, and so the third thing that I would, that I would kind of throw out there, uh, which is kind of a hard thing, but, but it's so, <laughs> so clear, not just in Acts, but, but throughout Scripture. The people of God, the church, must function and thrive during persecution and suffering. The people of God must flourish and thrive during persecution and suffering. It is so easy for me to get in this, this place of, well, I will do better when things are better. I will be more effective for Jesus when things are going better. But see, that's not the message of scripture. It is that we thrive and we flourish while we are in suffering and in persecution. I mean, think about, when we, when we go to like look at the growth of the church, the people of God in, in China, that when, when, when the government cracked down years, decades ago, and they ran all Christian missionaries who were from the West out of China, they killed or imprisoned all Chinese pastors and leaders. They threatened families. They, they thought they eradicated Christianity. They eradicated the name of Jesus off of mainland China. And then eventually, when the walls came down, there was a stronger, bigger, flourishing, thriving church of Jesus Christ in China because they, they didn't just survive in persecution and suffering, but they flourished and thrived in the persecution and suffering because that, was, that is how things work when we follow Jesus and we align ourselves with the reign and the rule of King Jesus. See, neither persecution nor suffering are excuses to let up on the mission or lead outside of submitting to the Holy Spirit and obedience to the witness of Scripture. In fact, persecution and suffering are a reminder that we need to be ever more aware and focused on the mission at hand. So the question I ask myself is, have I recognized that I will share in the sufferings of Jesus when I am following him? Have I recognized that I will share in the sufferings of Jesus when I am following him? You see, these things are our heritage as Jesus followers. It's so easy, I think, for us <clears throat> to think about our heritage or our legacy or that kind of stuff and think back to like, well, our parents, our grandparents, maybe our great-grandparents, it's so easy in the church to think about our heritage as our church only or our denomination or maybe our uh, particular, particular theology or belief, but our heritage as the people of God goes back to when Jesus gave the briefing to the, to the believers in Acts 1-8 and the church was birthed at Pentecost. That is our heritage. It doesn't just go back 120 years. It doesn't go back to 1776. It doesn't go back to the, to, the, to the note that Martin Luther put on the door in Wittenberg. It goes back to when Jesus said, this is what I want from you. That is our heritage as a church. So how does all this kind of 
connect and flesh out for us today. Um, I actually think what we see as a witness in the book of Acts, and again, I, 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 if, if you, whatever you have thought about Acts before, I would, I would ask you to consider to, to adjust your, your pers- perspective of it, that it is a witness of how we can be faithful no matter the cost or consequences. So as we look at Acts that way, that is a word for today now more than ever. You see, faithfulness means that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we go to every people group, every nation, and we make disciples by declaring the gospel and gathering these disciples into healthy communities called churches. And that could be right here, where you live and where you've grown up. That could be where you moved to because you got a job somewhere. That could be anywhere in the world that you obey and follow the Holy Spirit where he leads you. And we all know that the world is, I don't know that there's words to describe how messed up the world is. Um, I don't know that I care what nation you live in. Chances are your government, if there was a like global teacher or professor, I don't know that any of the governments are getting decent grades right now. Like I just, I just don't, I don't think that's gonna be a, a great thing. I, 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 don't, I don't look at the state of, let's just, let's just look like, like the state of the House of, the Repre, of, of Representatives. They don't get, they're not getting A's on their report cards. I mean, and that's just the start. And, and actually, I kind of think our country is one of the best. And we're a bit of a mess. And we all know what's the, the entire world right now is focused on a piece of land no bigger than New Jersey. That little spot has captured the concern of the entire globe. Everyone is concerned about what's happening there, and rightfully so. And it's interesting with recent events, I think the recent events, we can talk about how it has to do with land war, economics, about religion, all kinds of stuff. But I wanna tell you what, what this is about. And I believe this is what what's happening right now is absolutely about. More than any other time since Paul did his missionary journeys throughout the Middle East in the book of Acts, more than any other time since then, God has been doing a work of salvation and kingdom building in that region of the world in the Middle East more so than ever before. If, if you hear stories coming out of, of those places, uh, the, the earthquake in Turkey that affects Turkey and Syria, there are so many reports from children and adults that don't know each other that they report then when they, they were trapped in rubble for anywhere from four to, to like two, four days to two weeks. They are telling stories about a man in white who brings them milk and food to sustain them until they were rescued. And these people are being called something. They've they've been kind of put into a category in Turkey lately 
and in the Middle East, and they're called the people of the Messiah because that's who they're recognizing is showing up. We hear about the church in Iran growing in one of, in one of the most demonic-influenced nations in the world. There is a thriving, flourishing church. And all over the Middle East, things are happening. And I will tell you this, the principalities and powers in the Middle East that Paul spoke of in Ephesians and are still around today, those things that God is doing in that area of this world are not going unnoticed. Do you think it's by chance that Hamas came into Israel and did the things that they did? It is a response to the inbreaking kingdom of Jesus that is resulting in these things right now. Because if we only look at things in the physical realm, we will miss what is actually happening. And so it's heating up. When God moves, Satan goes crazy. And here's the thing. Israel, <laughs> Israel was, was set apart by God, a chosen people, so that all the nations in the world could be blessed. And, and the, the posture of Israel in the Old Testament was come and see. God separated them out and said, come look at a people who follow the one true God and you will be amazed and you will want to follow that one true God as well. The church is different than Israel though because the church is not a come and see mission. It is a go and tell mission. And it's so easy for us to get stuck in the mission of Israel and say, well, no, just have people come and see. That's not our mission. Jesus said, go and tell. That's what we're to be about. And so we are called to go and tell and that's happening and there's consequences to that. And so there's all of these, these lost people still in the world today, people, and, and I think, I, I don't know that these are definitive categories, but here's some categories to think of the lost in. One, I think that those, there are those who are ignorant. They don't know, they've never heard. There's no one who's been able to tell them about Jesus. And then I think there's the rebellious They've heard bits and pieces, but they don't want it <laughs> because they are too stuck on their own agenda in their own kingdom. And so they're rebellious, they don't want it. But then there's a third category that I would say are the demonic. And what I mean by that is not that they are lost causes or that they are demons, but they are so impacted by the evil spiritual realm and demons that they can their actions can only be described as demonic. And we saw that when Hamas came into Israel, the behavior and the things that they did can only be described as demonic. But you know what? They're also lost, just like the ignorant and just like the rebellious. And while <laughs> King Jesus is disgusted with their behavior. He loves them so much that he would give his own life for them.
here's the encouragement this morning. And this is what I've been kind of swimming in all week that God kind of directed me to Isaiah chapter 19. Isaiah chapter 19 is actually a passage where Isaiah, the prophet, gives judgment, pronounces judgment over Egypt. And then he gives a prophetic word of the future of Egypt that hasn't happened yet. So maybe later today, read through Isaiah 19. But, but basically what Isaiah says is he says that Egypt will come and, and in their despair, they will come to the one true God and they will, they will set up, they will worship God together and they will set up places where they can come and altars where they can come and worship the one true God. And then at the end of Isaiah 19, I wanna to read to you what it says in verse 23. It says, in that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria and Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria and the Egyptian, now listen, will worship with the Assyrians. Who will they worship? They will worship Yahweh, God. They will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth whom the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies has blessed, saying, now listen to what God says, Blessed, blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Egypt, my people. Egypt has never been God's people. There will come a day that Egypt is God's people. And it says, Assyria, the work of my hands. What, is it, what does that even mean? My handiwork. It means that God has crafted Assyria to a point where they reflect him and they show his beauty and his glory and his majesty. They reflect him accurately. He says, Israel, my inheritance. Those that I've chosen and I've pulled out to be a blessing to all nations. And he says, all of those people will come and worship together. Here's what's crazy about that is that everybody know where Israel is? Everyone know that there's an Egypt on the map. Where's Assyria? So when Isaiah said this, the boundary of Assyria was Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran. What's happening in our world right now today? Those places are in uproar. But the word of the Lord says that there will come a day... <laughs> When Israel, God's inheritance, and Egypt, God's people, and Turkey, and Syria, Iraq, and Iran, God's handiwork will come together and shoulder to shoulder, voice to voice, will worship and love the king of the universe, King Jesus, and they will worship God together. The very people who are slaughtering each other right now will come together and worship God along with the church being grafted in. That's where we're headed. We do not have to fear what is happening right now because this must happen in order to pave the way for what is coming. And God's word and God's purposes cannot be thwarted. We're gonna do communion 
And uh, <laughs> just imagine for a second when that Isaiah 19 highway exists and you've got Israel and Egypt and Assyria all worshiping together. Imagine the communion table that they will be sitting at. They will be gathered together remembering the suffering Savior who became the risen King. And so on that day, when they come together, they will take the bread. And somebody, maybe, maybe it'll be a Persian from Iran. Maybe it'll be one of the Hamas terrorists who had a Saul-like vision of Jesus on the way to do something terrible. And they'll take the bread. And they'll say, Jesus told us to take this bread. And when we break it, to remember that he broke his body for us. And so let's take it together. And they'll take the cup. And they will all be really familiar with bloodshed because it's been their life. But this blood that was spilled is not looked at in horror, but in gratefulness and thankfulness because it is the blood that covers all of their bloodshed and forgives their sins. And it is that new covenant that made you the glory of God that contains the spirit and the fire of God within you as the new tabernacle, as the new temple. So, so let's take and drink of that. Jesus, I, I thank you <laughs> that death could not hold you And that you are not a vindictive, conquering king. But you would that all come to you and live under your righteous and just rule and reign. So God, we believe you and have hope for what you've promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.